Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, we'll discuss the latest economic news and what to expect from the next administration with AAF President Douglas Holtzagen. Doug, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Kyle. Glad to be here. Happy New Year. How was your holiday season? Holidays were great. Um, We had two of the kids uh, in the area, so we got to see them for Christmas and New Year, and that was fantastic. Excellent. Excellent. Always nice to spend a little time with family and, you know, everything going on. It made it harder, but I'm glad you got to do something. Yeah, it was was really a nice holiday, and uh, now it's a chance to get back to work, which I also enjoy. (laughs) Well, let's do it. So election news and, of course, the terrible events on Capitol Hill yesterday are obviously driving this week. But I want to start our discussion today to look at the economy. It's a new year. Checks from the latest coronavirus relief package are hitting some people's bank accounts um, and stocks are hitting record highs right now. Um, Yet COVID-19 cases are still on the rise and we're falling well short of goals for vaccine distribution. With all of that in mind, what is your big picture look at the economy right now? I think certainly what remains true is that the the economy is held hostage by the pandemic and that defeating the virus remains the top priority. Uh, I think everyone was just incredibly pleased at how quickly so many vaccines were developed. And we might have gotten a little ahead of ourselves in thinking that the, the battle was over. It's now clear that the distribution and inoculation of so many Americans is a real challenge. And so... Uh, The idea that somehow by March this would all be cleaned up, I think, is optimistic. Um, I was thinking more like July. That now looks like hard work. Uh, Still possible, but by no means a guarantee. So that's that's going to determine the degree to which you can, in fact, conduct economic affairs, go to restaurants, concerts, uh, travel in airplanes in the ways that we previously had had taken for granted. Uh, And until that's true, we're not going to see full recovery. And I think that's the reality. And we'll still have to rely on what we can do with protections and and distance and uh, what we have to do as a government to support people who really uh, can't get back to work. Mm -hmm. So, as I mentioned, you know, stimulus checks are hitting some people's bank accounts. The the latest deal has been the COVID-19 relief package has passed. The president signed it after um, that week. Um, What impact has that? latest relief package uh, had on the economy to this point? I think there's been very little actual impact. Um, If you think about it, uh, the the package got passed late in December. Uh, It got passed after, in fact, some things had lapsed, some UI programs and things like that. So the passage itself helps in the sense of uh, expectations of income flows so that people, you know, can like maybe spend a little bit out of their bank account that they wouldn't have otherwise not known that the, the the checks are coming, things like that. Um, but but the big impacts haven't hit yet, and I expect the December data to be pretty soft, quite frankly. Um, we've seen some of the high-frequency data that we get, things like surveys of manufacturers, survey of the service sector, show declines um, in employment uh, and, and hiring compared to uh, November. And so, you know, we're going to get a jobs report tomorrow. Um, it, it's going to be a, a small number if it remains positive. There's a chance it could be negative. We saw uh, the ADP employment report come in with negative 123,000 yesterday. So so expect a weak December data, but I don't think that uh, means that we're, we're destined to continue to go down. The package as a whole 
is about $900 billion. That's 4% of GDP. That's a big number. Uh, if you put it out in the next six months, that's equivalent to spending at a rate of 8% at an annual rate. And, and that's just a huge uh, cash flow in the economy. So I, I expect you know, the numbers to, to hold up. We may have a weak December, but, but things will look better January, February, March. Um, and, and you know, we're really left with what can we do with the virus? And, um, you know, I, I think people have focused a lot on the checks and certainly the debate focused on the checks. And, and I think the checks are the least important thing that the Congress did. Um, as, quote, stimulus, checks have a, a pretty spotty track record. They didn't do a thing in 2008. They didn't do, do a thing in 2009. Um, it's even harder for them to do something effective here because we all have all these uh, virus-related constraints on the economy. People can't go to work in some cases, and so stimulus isn't going to work unless there's a way to, to provide the services. And um, they're not targeted very well, right? They, they aren't going to the people who are actually out of work. They're, they're, they're just going to everybody. So uh, I think the checks are, are the least important component of it. They also come with a whole bunch of administrative baggage, like can you get them to people? We have we're going to repeat the same problems that we had the last time we used checks. We're going to send a lot to dead people. Um, we're going to try to send it to some people who who got a refund using a debit card, and the debit card will be dead. And, and the Treasury just hasn't figured out a way to do this. They haven't figured out a way to go through sort of the private sector, the intuits and H&R blocks of the world to get money to these people. And so I, I discount the checks pretty highly. They're, they can't get to the right people all the time, and, and they don't have a good track record. I think the UI is going to be very important. I think the Paycheck Protection Program you know, this round is, is another important piece for the, the small business community. And, and as I said, the scale of this has actually, I think, been underappreciated. We've had so many big numbers, you think, oh, what's, what's $900 billion? That's nothing. It's a lot, and, and it will help uh, considerably. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned some of the programs did lapse in December before they got this passed. Can they go back, you know, backtrack and say these people were, need to get the unemployment insurance, or is that sort of gone at this point? It's uh, going to be a state-by-state -state um, uh, issue. These are in the end state unemployment insurance programs. They have a different ability to look back and and, and provide uh, an after the fact check for the, the past week. Um, in some cases, they they just uh, don't uh, have that eligibility in the state. So well, that's going to be a, a hit or miss proposition across the country. Mm -hmm. And somewhat to your point on stimulus checks, um, you know, being. Le the least effective part of this bill. You know, I saw an email today from TurboTax saying that them and H&R Block are having issues getting people checks. So there's some logistic problems around that as well. Um, so hopefully they can figure all that out. But also yeah, it's it's frustrating because these are the same problems we had, you know, with the CARES Act and and either decide that you're not going to use this distribution system or fix it because we're going to, uh, you know, repeat this checks exercise. Uh, but it, it, we're in a bad place right now. Yeah. And all this on top of the IRS having to prepare for the 2021 tax season, I'm sure complicates matters even further. I, I think it, it. what we've seen is that the IRS is not capable of walking and chewing down at the same time. I mean, really, whether you think it's the IRS's fault or the funding fault or, or whatever, the modernization hasn't happened. It can't distribute the checks. It, it can't do that and prepare for the tax season. And, um, you know, we, we really aren't getting great performance at the moment. Yeah. All right. Well, back to the economy for a little bit. Um, what are we going to learn from uh, from Friday's jobs report? Um, you know, what are we going to see? What are we going to learn about the economy? Uh, what are you looking for? So I think there's uh, 
the one key thing to look for. Um, first of all, we all expect it to be weaker than um, uh, some of the ones earlier in the fall, and that's because of the surge in, in uh, cases. And then the second thing to look for is how widespread are the declines. If they're focused on things like retail, hospitality, restaurants, places like that, well, that's clearly virus-related. That's that's inability to be exposed, and and you expect then for that to go away. If it's broader than that, uh, then you worry about sort of underlying weakness in the, in the economy as a whole. I think it's more likely to be the first than the second, but it's worth checking. Okay. Um, and on the challenges uh, with vaccine distributions, you know, we've seen we, we missed some targets uh, for tw- for the end of 2020 and seems to be going slower. Um, and we've also discussed on, you know, earlier episodes of this podcast, you know, what those potential problems could be. Um, are we seeing those problems that we discussed play out? Um, and what could be the economic impact of these delays? Uh, well, I think it's uh, very disappointing. I mean, I was a one of the, I think, leading cheerleaders for the Operation Warp Speed effort, uh, which developed these vaccines. And and that part of it was fantastic. And the, the knock-on part was supposed to be the distribution of those vaccines to quickly inoculate, especially the, the health providers and then the first responders and then the aged, you know, sort of work through. And and the second part just isn't happening. Um, and in retrospect, it looks like there was a plan to get the vaccines to the state, but there wasn't uh, a uniformly a plan in each state to get to those targeted populations. And you know, we're seeing situations where we've got vaccines out there and, and we're not using even close to what has been produced and, and sent out. So I, I don't fully understand what went wrong there. I, I, I won't pretend to. I'm not sure anyone does. Uh, but it's it's a big failure um, because it has economic consequences. It, it, it diminishes the ability of some people to go to work because they're afraid of exposures. It diminishes the ability of people to conduct commerce. Uh, that That's bad for the economy. So uh, fixing this, I think, is, has got to be a top priority of the incoming uh, administration. Um, you know, you hate to say the Trump administration had their chance and blew it, but, you know, things are not working right now. We, we need a restart, I think. Mm-hmm. Is some of this, you know, people just still, you know, nervous about taking the vaccine? I mean, we talked a lot about the polling being 50-50 back in, you know, middle of last summer. What What is that playing a role in this? It may be on the ground, but, you know, if, if I'm afraid to take the vaccine, one hopes that they would turn and give it to you. It's not happening. So we're having unused vaccines sit out there. And that, that's a troubling indicator. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's shift focus and talk about the new administration. Um, President-elect Biden is set to be inaugurated in you know a few days here. Um, the new Congress is, is taking over. Um, first, let's tackle what we know. Uh, what does Congress and the White House have to get done in this new year? Uh, they have to have a distribution plan and a vaccination uh, effort. I think that's the top priority. Um, the public health emergency remains the the, the, the key thing for the, any administration to face. And so that, that'll be what they have to do um, past that. Um, you know, there isn't a lot they have to do. Um, the government's funded through the end of the year, and there are, um, you know, a, a stimulus and support effort in place, and we can monitor the the need for additional um, uh, efforts as the as the months go by. But as at, at this moment, there isn't something that they quote have to do. Now, having said that, you and I both know there's a long list of things that the, the president elect promised to do in the campaign trail. They want to do, and there will be a lot of activity. Um, mm-hmm. 
particularly in light of the, the Georgia runoff results, which give Democrats uh, control of the Senate, um, there, there are now two kinds of things that can go on in the Congress. Um, one is uh, bills which are going to be tailored to get through the Senate with a 60 vote margin and, and, and attract some Republicans. Um, and then there'll be some things which like a, a public option or, or, or a wealth tax or you know something they don't really intend to pass, but they want to get a vote on it and get um, both parties on record and where they stand on it. Uh, given that they control the floor in both the House and the Senate, the Democrats can do both of those things. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about some of that. We know Georgia shifted the calculus a little bit with with Democrats sweeping. There's now 50-50 tie in the Senate with the vice president breaking it in favor of the Democrats. Um, how did those results affect what Congress and the administration might do? Um, what you know? What are all some of the biggest unknowns here as well? So probably the the biggest thing that that put into play is the capacity to pass legislation using so-called reconciliation. Um, Gordon Gray, our, our fiscal policy expert, has nice primer on this on the website. Um, I'm sure he'll get lots of questions about it as the, as the weeks and days pass. But the short version is that uh, reconciliation was was created to give you a fast track way to get budgetary um, revisions through the, the Senate in particular. It requires only a 50 majority. You don't need 60 to, to uh, end debate. So um, to get reconciliation, you have to pass a budget resolution in the House, one in the Senate. They have to match them up in a conference. Both sides have to then pass that, that, that common budget resolution, and it should contain reconciliation instructions, amounts by which you can raise or lower taxes, amounts by which you can raise or lower uh, mandatory spending, and um, you know, that gives them the vehicle to put in that uh, that reconciliation bill the substance of the policy they want to raise or, or lower uh, taxes or spending and pass it with a, a 50 vote majority in the Senate. That means they can't lose anybody. Right. I mean, it's 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 going it's, it's now possible, but it requires tremendous discipline. And uh, the constraints on that are going to be those those. Uh, fairly moderate uh, Democrats who they can't lose or the fairly moderate Republicans who they might attract, you know, what what gets them to 50 in the Senate? That's the, mm -hmm. and there's going to be a lot of calculus surrounding that. Um, but it's a different way to, to do uh, legislation. And, and they get one shot at spending that way. They get one shot at taxes that way. With, and that and that's it. So expect that to be a big um, a piece of the, the priorities for the Democrats. You can't do everything in legislate, uh, in reconciliation. You can't create new programs. You can't um, do, do regulations. Uh, it's only for raising and lowering taxes and spending. And so it's it's powerful but limited. Mm -hmm. um, and on the flip side of that, though, we also have the House where, you know, Democrats lost some of their majority. I mean, it's it's a lot closer of a margin in terms of raw vote, to you know, Republican and Democrat vote totals. Um, do you think that they will continue to pursue a more progressive legislation such as the Green New Deal and public option, or they move to the center on some of those issues? I, I think in both the House and the Senate, you're going to see uh, a really, really tough balancing act. Um, it is hard to hold those majorities together and, and pass bills. Um, you know, you lose five or six people for, for sort of pretty idiosyncratic, regional, personal, whatever reasons on almost every bill, and, and, and they can't afford to. On, on things they care about. So uh, it's, it's, it's going to be very hard work and a high wire act every time they're trying to do something they care about. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, lastly, I want to 
talk about some of the policy legacy of the outgoing uh, Trump administration. Um, you've argued that one of the key policy achievements over the last four years has been uh, the regulatory agenda. Um, AAF's Dan Bosch and Dan Goldbeck, our great regulatory team, policy team that tracks a lot of this stuff, um, just put out a review of regulations in 2020. What were their findings and was there anything really surprising about that? Well, I, I think the the key insight is that the increase in the regulatory burden was about $15 billion. That's the second biggest number uh, in, in the Trump administration um, uh, uh, tenure. So uh, compare that to averaging over $100 billion a year for the eight years of the Obama administration. It tells you that even with that 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 uptick, you're you're not in the same uh, number of digits as, as we were before. So this has been an administration that has, to the extent possible, reduced the regulatory burden and limited the the increase from the rules they had to make. Uh, the vehicle by which they they did that were these so-called regulatory budgets. You announced each agency you were allowed to raise total burdens from regulation by five billion dollars this year, no more, or zero in some cases, or a negative number in others. Um, and that's been very effective on the whole, I think, in the big picture. Um, I think that uh, the, the Biden administration might want to think about keeping that framework in place. Um, they they don't have to have it cranked down as tight. right? They could say, OK, we're going to go from so 10, 15, 20 billion dollars, depending on the agency. And, and but it does give the agency an incentive to do the regulation at, at the least possible cost. And, and that's a good incentive to have. So, you know, there's obvious policy disagreements between Biden, um, the incoming Biden administration and the outgoing Trump administration. Um, but how much power does the incoming administration have to overturn some of these regulatory policies um, and specific regulations of the Trump administration? Um, so we will see a lot of regulatory activity out of the Biden administration. Um, uh, it will do a quick U-turn on, on the very rapid and, and sort of sustained regulatory action, deregulatory actions of the Trump administration. So think, think of all the executive orders and regulations that surrounded immigration. Those will all get reversed, if at all possible. Uh, the ones that surrounded the Affordable Care Act and, and the individual market, they'll reverse those. Uh, the ones that um, uh, affected uh, the extraction of uh, oil and natural gas on federal lands, do you turn on all those? So there'll be a lot of activity that's just saying, you know, all right, we're going back to what it was before, big U-turn. And they, they can do that. It takes time, um, you know, be a year or two before they could possibly get through all, all that. And then there will be whatever new initiatives they may want to undertake using executive authorities, given the nature of the, the Congress, you know, tight majorities in, in the House and Senate. They are not, for example, going to get a big climate change piece of legislation through there. I think in the foreseeable future, we're going to see a lot of activity on the regulatory front associated with clean energy initiatives. And I keep an eye on that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, what about Congress? I mean, our reg team wrote some about the Congressional Review Act, which I was going to come into play. Um, I think this might be the biggest impact of the Georgia runoffs in the near term. Um, what do you think about that? We saw at the startup of the Trump administration uh, a record use of the Congressional Review Act, whereby uh, you can uh, remove a regulation, Congress uh, can, can pass it and remove the regulation. And if you do so, you preclude the administration from repeating regulation in that area. That's what's really powerful about it. You, you take that off the table. So there will be some things that they may want to get rid of that way. But there are some things, for example, uh, on drug pricing where they don't they don't want to have 
the Congress get rid of the Congressional, use the Congressional Review Act to get rid of a drug pricing regulation because they do want to have that capacity. And so uh, we'll see we'll, we'll see if they uh, exploit that. The precedent's been set. I think they, everyone now understands this is a powerful uh, tool and, and, they'll, and we'll see some of that, I think, uh, beginning in uh, February and March. Okay, looking even further down the road on regulatory policy, what does the Trump administration's regulatory policy mean for future Republican administrations? Do you think this kind of deregulatory effort using a regulation budget um, will be the default position of uh, Republican administrations going forward? Yes, um, I think we we saw the power of this uh, in two ways. We saw it in a negative way during the Obama era where we had had sluggish growth, and I think it was tied in, in, in to a great extent to the burdens that were imposed by the regulatory state. And then we saw just how powerful it was to, to go the other direction. And the, the sharp rise in small business confidence and the acceleration of the economy, I think, is, is something that every future administration is going to want to repeat. Okay. Um, and finally, beyond um, just regulatory policy, what do you see as the enduring policy achievements of the outgoing administration? What what are some of the bigger items that will impact the economy and policy debates moving forward? I think one of the, the biggest accomplishments was the, the corporate reforms in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Um, you know, we had we had experienced year after year the loss of the headquarters and, and we had these terrible fights over Benedict Arnold Arnold firms and all all, all of the things that went with that. And the Treasury tried lots of regulations. And you know, this was a perennial political football. It, it ended. It, it ended the minute that passed. We, I think we had one uh, loss of headquarters in January of 2018 and nothing since. Um, that's a huge success. I, I think it's been too little remarked upon that, that we put that behind us. That was something that both Republicans and Democrats agreed had to happen. Um, and, and a lot of the corporate reforms were things that had been contemplated on a bipartisan basis. Um, you know, there are other parts of it that are going to be a political football, like the top rate and things like that. But, but I think that was a huge success and one the administration should be given credit for. All right. Well, we'll have to continue watching in 2021 to see how all of this plays out. Um, but before I let you go, I just want to say for the first time in a very long time, I will be sitting on the sidelines this weekend um, and watching your Steelers play football. Um, so I just want to say congratulations on that and good luck. Uh, well, thank you very much. Um, as you know, my my heart is always with the Steelers. So fingers are crossed. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Doug, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.